new Eumaniacs, calling all new Eumaniacs. I'm here! <laughs> Welcome back, new Eumaniacs, to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, the voice of the new universe. We're your hosts, Andy plus Steven, with The Pit. The new universe was launched in 1986 as an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress, more realistic technology, physics, and biology. After the first year, some books were canceled, although we see their characters in other places, and the remaining books have now transitioned to new status quos with more action and consistent creative teams. They've also come up with some big events to deal with. Yeah. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack. Or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We have a website over uh, at uh, kickersinc.com where you can take our Season 3 Trivia Challenge. We will... Uh, Amuse and divert you with a uh, plethora of questions about your testing your knowledge of the new universe. We uh, also have a Twitter account at Kickers Inc. where hopefully you can be updated with uh, what's coming up and when uh, new episodes are releasing. Yeah, hit hit that retweet button, like and subscribe, all that stuff. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Can we even do that anymore? Ret uh, retweet as many times or re-X as many times. I was going to block everyone and then they I guess that won't be around. So there's no point to it now. Nope. Okay, everyone. Just go wild. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the theme of the day. All right. There's no point anymore. Just do what you want. Blow up your cities. I mean, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, so uh, today we're covering a book that is as big as events get in the new universe, right? We got crossover issues coming. Uh, we got an extra beefy comic book. Uh, and this is the event that really turns the corner for the new universe. And people are still debating the pros and cons of it all these years later. At least us new universe people in the know are. Uh, so yeah, this week we're talking about the pit. Uh, Kent. And this is uh, Ken Connell was given a power called the star brand under mysterious circumstances, wanting to help others, but also afraid to expose himself. Connell struggles to grow up and find use for the brand's unlimited power while dating many, many available, albeit now vaporized women. Um, then the beach is probably OK. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But then a change of editors and a character assassination brought him to a mistake so big the whole world would notice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can I do that? Uh, sure. Starbrand number 12, Ken Connell, as the uh, Marvel Age recap said, had a has a wild rematch with the mysterious old man and the true nature of the white event is revealed. Kind of. When Ken tried to give up the Starbrand, well, we can't tell you what happened, but we can say this. The new universe will never be the same. And that was by John Byrne and Tom Tom Palmer, and we covered it in our last episode. But will the new universe ever be the same? That's what I want to know. Is it still the world outside my window? 
Well, not your window. <laughs> to be honest, the world outside my window has changed a lot over the years, too. So who am I to say? Anyway. Yeah, so the, you pit, take the pit. The pit. Um, this is the advertisement copy for it is a major city in the United States has been annihilated. The world asks by Annihilus, so. the Fantastic Four foe. No, no, he's stuck in the negative zone. Uh, <laughs> the world asks how such incomprehensible devastation could happen. This is the story of how deeply this devastation affects not just the world, but how it changes the future of the new universe. Plotted by John Byrne and Mark Grunewald, skip, scripted by John Byrne and illustrated by Sal Buscema and Stan Drake. Uh, this was bookshelf format, as in like little mini graphic novel, uh, 48 pages, $3.25, which is less than like a standard comic costs now. So not, not a bit. Yeah. I mean, at the time, that was, uh, you know, four times what these previous issues were, were were costing you. So it may have given you a pause to think about if you're actually going to put your money down. But the uh, remember the bookshelf format, like every company had their own term for it. At, like at that time, it was like popular with these. There was like prestige format, bookshelf format. Right. Sometimes it'd just be like, um, what is the uh, dark knight returns the dark knight returns format and that was like the first like right super popular thing that came out anyway we get and, it it's uh, got a, like a card stock cover and it's a little bit thicker and maybe without the staples yeah it's uh so the annuals were about 40 pages each so to give you an idea it's a little bit longer than that mm -hmm. um and we will also be discussing more thoughts on the pit event as a whole so yeah, but yeah, be sure to listen to the Star Brand Twelve, which gives all of the, all of the lead up to this. It's, uh, I think, as you point out, the um, Star Brand collections include the pit as as part of them. Only um, in Volume Two, though. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's the pit part one, right? April April eighty eight. Uh, they probably really came out uh, December 29th, 1987. Uh, Happy New Year! <laughs> Just about. Um, yeah, so this this continues uh, Star Brand number 12, basically. Um, and yeah. we, comic yeah, wise, we could say like that ahead. they they were kind of stretching it out as much as they could, but you know they're they have like the publication schedule. And if you're going to blow up a city in the middle of the uh, country, you don't want to just wait a month, let alone two months to get a bi-monthly book back to find out what happens. So yeah. strike while the iron's hot, <laughs> give them something to tide them over and kind of punctuate the, the event. That's right. That part makes sense. Right. And, and in the, in the new universe, real time timeline, um yeah sci force 18 occurred or that sort of issue ended at december 18th you know new u time star brand was december 22nd and then this is uh starting with that end point december 22nd and going into the next day so a whole day of pitastic pittiness or something like that <laughs> um but yeah yeah basically to recap <laughs> 
Ken Connell was turned dumb. Um, had another showdown with the old man, uh, which ended up in the old man blowing up a comic book convention while merging with Ken. And that also helped Ken to just know the old man's background as a Dutch count. Um, okay. Remember, we were sold this as an explanation of things. Right. <laughs> and the, the original white event then was the old man trying to give up his powers by putting it into an asteroid in space and that caused a big explosion flash white event gave everybody their paranormal powers and then he kind of crash landed on earth and ran into ken column like "Eh, you take it (laughs) basically um that's that's what he said yeah yeah and uh yeah so ken now newly thoughtless and dumb uh, listened, kind of half listened to Myron about, okay, maybe it would be a good idea to give the power to an inanimate object to get rid of it. Um, but then he was supposed to be able to control his power. And uh, we didn't really understand where that concept came from, but he, he flew up just above Pittsburgh rather than like far into space, you know, put the power into a dumbbell and, you know, caused the explosion that is now the pit right so so we'll actually see a little bit of that in this comic from the witnesses point of view as we go but but that was that was the previous issue which is probably worth going over um but yeah the pit it, it doesn't really look like a new universe comic it doesn't say the new universe on the on the front of it it just says marvel the pit just big long elongated words and kind of like a red red to yellow color fade uh, it's kind of an interesting graphic, although maybe a little bit boring. Yeah, I I mean, I wanted to draw attention to it. It is, a, it, yeah, just pure graphic. Um, so inside the credits says cover design and art uh, credits Michael Heisler, who is also credited as one of the letterers. And you can imagine this is, that's all it is. It's like yeah. lettering. And it gives the cover exercise. to the letterer and he, what is he going to do? Big letters. <laughs> sorry michael heisler um he's yeah i mean it's fine it's but you can imagine like a todd klein would do something quite uh, a little i don't know that's fine okay i don't don't want what's this like oh what's his name could do so much better yeah i (laughs) don't i don't want to be that guy never mind no no the the image at the end of star brand 12 was pretty striking like that almost would have been a good cover for something like this yeah, the sphere of energy that's that it that created the pit is, um, yeah, stunning yeah. in its scale and scope. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so we got a, a big pile of writers and pencilers. Uh, we mentioned them. Uh, Janet Jackson as colorist. I think she's the one that goes by JJ Jackson. Um, Three different letterers, a technical consultant, Elliot Brown. Uh, you got art assistants in here, Chris Butch Ivy and Donald C. Hudson. Uh, you get some creator credits, Witness, created by Mark Gruenwald. He probably didn't get rich on the royalties for that one. Uh, Ken Connell, created by Jim Shooter. So at least they throw a little Shooter mention in there. Uh, and then uh, Colonel Mac Browning is in there, who will meet and Spitfire, created by Elliot Brown and John Morelli. So now he's at least a technical consultant so 
Yeah, I kind of wondered if that was like part of that was just uh, coming up with another Mac Max suit design. Mm. Um, but he may have also been like the go-to guy for like figuring out what like a you know blast radius and you right. know all some of the numbers we're seeing thrown around in that cool so. explosion consultant. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's crack this thing open and see what we have. And and what we have in our first page is pages, of course, my favorite thing in all of comics: a big page of words with no pictures. What? <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I just started reading something that said it was by the witness. And um, <laughs> uh, turn the page. Let's go to the next one. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't like these. They they have their place. They can, but this basically recaps who the witness is and kind of introduces him to the story. He showed up in the DP Seven annual, basically as a plot device to. Uh, you know, kind of narrate through the origin stories of all the DP7 guys. Um, so he starts with, my name is Nelson Kohler, and for the past year and a half, I've been a ghost. Uh, and yeah, he's basically like mild-mannered mild mannered uh, Microsoft salesman, uh, but the white event blinded him while he was driving. He crashed, died, but his spirit lived on. But all he can do is just kind of float around, like he can't really interact with people. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a weird kind of a paranormal power to be sort of stuck in this um, afterlife kind of thing. Like most, most of them are more easily described, but because the, the people are alive and, you know, the, I, yeah. So yeah. Uh, what exactly happened to this guy is a kind of an open question. Yeah, he did I, not live to see Windows 3.1, is all we know for certain. <laughs> he uh, weeps bitter tears in his phantom <laughs> form about some of this. So I did have a good uh, like couple of sentences in here I, I could throw out. Yeah, I was um, just going to point out like the power they gave him. but is uh, So let's see. So he's like, he he's, says he's been watching hundreds, maybe thousands of people uh, trans, you know, get, gain these paranormal powers. But he says, today, for the first time since my ethereal life began, I feel something different, a sensation more intense than the pain of my own death. This is not the birth cry of a lone human being in the throes of impending paranormalcy. paranormalcy. This is more like the rape scream of the human race itself. Just before the white event visited its fury upon it. Yeesh. Is this guy, I, I thought he was a Microsoft salesman, not like a philosophy <laughs> professor or something. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. A <laughs> so, yeah, this imagery. is actually kind of weird, though. Like his power is to, he's compelled to go see when paranormals gain their powers. And then right. all of a sudden in this comic, his power is to go to the where the, you know, next white event is happening to go witness the explosion kind of thing. So, you know, basically he's you know, wherever the plot needs to be. That's his paranormal power. <laughs> but he's an interesting guy. He, so visually, like he's kind of like a transparent ghost, uh, but like with a green tint. He's got like an old school detective trench coat and like a wide brim hat. Uh, so he's embracing like the phantom thing. Uh, we get December 22nd, 1987. 
He's somewhere in Ohio. And so he's agony making my phantom body spasm. Like, oh, geez, what's happening underneath that trench coat, buddy? It's got to block it out or I won't be able to do more than writhe in the wind. So he's really gotten more dramatic since last time. It's like, it's so loud, intense, like standing in the center of a million people gargling shards of glass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a very relatable uh, metaphor. <laughs> I don't know where you come up with them, buddy, but uh, okay. Yeah, so so he's he's kind of fun, but basically he's just sort of so he, his thought bubbles narrate himself and what he's doing. I must tra- traverse the sky faster than I've ever gone before. So he goes flying off towards the source of this glass gargling disturbance, uh, and you know he doesn't really understand it, but again, apparently he's compelled to go to uh, interesting events that are happening on happening in the comics. Um, so he's flying r- along. An interstate that doesn't really know where he's going uh he passes over like a family in a car uh which we're assuming will become important later uh kids in the back mom and dad in the front of like a, a red volkswagen like a classic volkswagen beetle it's pretty <laughs> small for a four four person family i don't yeah know. <laughs> those things are basically death traps in terms of like uh, automotive quality they're going to grandma's house uh, as the the witness zips by. Uh, he makes it to Pittsburgh. You know, he figures out that he's in Pittsburgh uh, by seeing the Pittsburgh savings and loan. Uh, there is no such thing. But anyway. <laughs> oh, well. I think well, it's interesting. He's kind of, um, he sees the city from a distance, which is actually something you don't do if you're driving in, but he is kind of flying. So right. there's a lot of like hill hills in the area. So you, it really blocks your view from a, from a distance, but um, you know it's it's not a bad you know, depiction of the city. A little generic, I'd say, but yeah. So he flies up to the sky, you know, feeling that that's where the disturbance is headed, and he says, "Up towards the sky, that makes sense. That's where the white event happened, after all." Mm, the pain hurts to even think. So I'm not sure why he's thinking of white event, but I guess he's drawing some connections there, and he sees Ken Connell flying there uh he ken did in fact in the last issue fly up in nothing but tidy whiteies uh, so it's just a half mostly <laughs> naked guy in his underwear holding a bent dumbbell um there's just, nobody's gonna nobody wants to give ken any kind of respect <laughs> the, um, uh, yeah the witness immediately assumes he must already be paranormal he's floating there def- defying gravity and that yeah that so people, when they saw starting powers, they just assumed they were all paranormals, which isn't technically, I guess, what Ken is. So true, true. Um, but yeah, and yeah, so he's floating there, and, and basically the witness gets to see the moment in Starbrand where Ken's kind of thinking to himself, you know, what he's going to do, and he's going to transfer the power to the dumbbell. And as he's getting ready to put his hand in there, the witness is screaming and moving towards him. But of course, nobody can see or hear the witness. You know, you're a useless guy. Uh, Curse this phantom body. There was never anything I could do anyway. I'm too late. He pressed his hand to that metal weight. It's glowing. Now what? Uh, and then we get a full page, 6.06 p.m. Eastern Standard Time explosion. <laughs> so it's actually a, kind of a cool image. 
the whole page is mostly white by the edges you can see a little bit of kind of the, the blast circle and there's little tiny black images of of the two uh the witness and uh and ken in there in there in the center it's good and dramatic and although as we see from this the ultimate scope of this thing it's still not to scale like, yeah but i suppose damage. this is maybe like the beginning of it or something is yeah first mm -hmm. millisecond or something yeah the um it's funny because i was thinking like if you're you know phantomness has been was created by the um white event or you know a yeah. normality you would think that like the same power that created you would also be the one thing that would destroy you. Yeah, it would be. It might almost make sense if you just got wiped out right there. It, it, would, it would save us a lot of trouble, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> uh, oh, at peace at last. Yeah. The thought balloon as it drifts. <laughs> so, so then we get a, a bunch of panels of the witness basically describing the art. Um, it's like there was a we get a few little useful tidbits he's like there was a blinding flash just like the white event an explosion it made no sound right so no sound uh the sensation passes uh there's you know wind and sort of tornado force winds all start swirling so on the images we get kind of like swirls of color and kind of cloud kind of distorting everything ken gets kind of whipped away so uh, we don't we didn't know yeah if ken was had survived uh, yeah. at the end of starbrand so that's it's interesting he's yeah just whipped away yeah and he doesn't he doesn't turn into that weird mutated looking ken either uh but he, he gets whisked away the witness kind of quickly is like should i try and catch up to him um is, is he dead you know like well no i want to see the effects of the explosion right is it nuclear i, I didn't see a mushroom cloud uh then he just kind of gets just you know thinking about it you know the wind there's a huge vortex um the next page we get a nice panel of him kind of you know seeing the aftermath so i, I think this is a, a nice image on page seven where you know, he's flying up and above and it just looks like a huge crater like an old asteroid impact um everything around looks kind of dead <laughs> the crater is massive and there's kind of these wi colorful winds sort of swirling around uh he says the tornado is tremendous reaching up to the outer edge of the earth's atmosphere the city below pittsburgh is so dark all the lights out i can't tell what's happened to it so he says can't tell but we can clearly see you know it's a crater right it would it is the pit i suppose yeah and i mean this is like this first moment is when it's like a real crisp and clean uh crater um sort of sphere part of a sphere yeah. So it the they kind of go into all the big um uh the after effects kind of muddy up whatever it looks like in it originally and the obscures everything, all these right. clouds you get. I don't know, I, I should have looked it up. I you know, in the middle of December it sun goes down pretty early, so it actually makes sense this is already nighttime when this happens, but right. Know. That's true. Yeah, it would be dark really quickly. Um, we get a thunderclap. Yeah, the witness kind of goes down closer, and then in these swirling winds, it's just like refuse, like 
you're in the middle of a tornado, right? There's a cow, a fence, a car, a baby doll, uh, electric wire, you know, just a piece, a chunk of a house, right? Everything's kind of swirling in. Um, and then we get the sense from his narration that basically it's like, um, best I can figure is like everything in that sphere is just gone. And then that would create sort of a vacuum where everything, where the wind and anything else is just going to kind of rush in and, and basically just pull a bunch of town and debris and whatever else with it, right? So it's not things that have survived the initial blast or the initial, you know, uh, sphere of energy. I'm not even sure what to call it, uh, but it's all the things around that are just now getting sucked into a mess there. Uh, so yeah, it's like, Unless, could the explosion have been so powerful that it caused a several-mile vacuum? In that case, the atmosphere would be rushing in from all sides to fill that, to fill that void. Um, and that doesn't really yeah. make any sense for a real explosion, right? So, typically... Yeah, that's... A, it's very weird, because, yeah, I... Like, they're doing it on purpose that this isn't an explosion, but an implosion, where suddenly this stuff the sphere is just not there anymore. And so wind rushes in and then slowly water, whatever starts, um, you know, comes in maybe even the, the lightning. I don't know. Um, but there's like, uh, whatever you're used to, this is like the opposite of it. Right. Is, yeah. Is there's no, of... no blast wave, you know, no heat. Right. No mushroom yeah. cloud, right? It's just everything. So the way gone. they sort of have it, yeah, it's like it seems like super well defined, and so you can imagine you're like a guy standing in whatever Evans City, and you're like, you know, ten feet away from you. Suddenly, there's a wall of white, and suddenly everything past that is now disappeared. And so at first you're like, "Phew!" Well, I don't know what that was, but. And then this, all the wind rushes in and just sucks you right into that. Yeah. So, which is a perfect segue to what happens on page nine, right? So, oh yeah, the witness is sort of horrified and is like, all oh, the bodies, the terror, like he's seeing like dead people and people getting sucked in. Um, then we see the family he passed before in the crappy red Volkswagen. You know, they get hit by the blinding light. And then all that rushing air just basically pulls their car up off the ground and they go flying into the pit. So not, not good. Yeah. When you say like he sees bodies and parts of bodies everywhere, they're not kidding. Literally, it seems like every panel from this point on has like a body or a part of a body flying around or laying on the ground. Yeah. Our usual kill count is like, yeah, we 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 can't do it this time. <laughs> there is a population uh, of the Pittsburgh region listed on the last page, so we could kind of oh, cheat yeah. maybe. But oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, not not so promising. Uh, the the duck's not in there. She was in Ohio, Mansfield. That's yeah, so. Don't throw away the duck so far. They have not. Don't dump her in the pit either. Um, so we, we cut to 6, 17 p.m. Griffiths Air Force Base, New York. Um, and where the army... That? What's that? Do you recognize that? Uh, no. I looked it up. It was a thing. Okay. It's like between Utica and Syracuse. Yeah, I don't go east that much. Uh. 
I'm here in Pittsburgh. Come on, man. I can like I'm the Western only New Yorker. Of the story. I got a chicken wing in one hand and you know Polish right. sausage in the other hand. I don't know what's Western New York. <laughs> Looks like uh so this Air Force base was closed in uh the mid nineties as part of the whatever. Yeah. But anyway. There was no pit, so they didn't need it. Uh, but yeah, so we get some kind of generic army guys, you know, never seen a signal like this. If I'm reading this right, Pittsburgh just turned into a crater 50 miles across. What? <laughs> Great God Almighty? <laughs> That's kind of a fun one. Uh, he's right. He's right. The only way to interpret that image. <laughs> or that's the only way to interpret that. Good job, Radar guy. You're on top of things. Uh, so mean, he calls, calls for the chief of staff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, a radar just shows you like, you know, something just blips if if it, you know, it just bounces, and so it's very yeah. low resolution. But okay, I guess maybe this, we had. Do we have satellite imagery by then? Probably right. At least some. some yeah. Some I mean, yeah. It's a. Uh, so I. I mean, I'm not. So I. I just looked up that like this. Air Force Base exists, but why like they would be um like the nearest thing or like have the best radar or something? I don't know. But yeah. So the fastest know. radar guy who turned that knob quicker than anybody else. I don't know. <laughs> uh from there it cuts to 647 p.m. Lincoln Crescent, Washington, DC. So it's like a big, like round about cul-de-sac, and there's a bunch of people standing outside. Um, like they could kind of see the flash, like kind of like a second white event. Um, they're all standing around like that sounded like thunder, but I've never heard thunder so strange. It's like, oh, almost more like an earthquake. Um, and they asked, and a woman, uh, I think his wife asked him, like, Mac, what was it? You're with special forces, you should know. <laughs> it's like when my family, like, you know, chemistry, you can explain anything, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's, uh, not sure, Carol, honey. <laughs> and he's thinking to himself, it felt like something pretty big going off, pretty close by, but a nuke as big as that would fill the sky with light, sound, with wind. Hmm. Um, and then a, a wind does come, but it's a helicopter. So a helicopter is going straight for uh, this guy and his family, uh, blasting over their speaker. Colonel Browning, Colonel McIntyre Browning, please show yourself. This is a priority one command. Uh, so this Hello, is... CIA uh, shills in the uh, neighborhood. Please step forward. <laughs> please identify yourselves. Yeah, and, and Browning actually chastises him for like announcing it over the loudspeaker instead of using his red Batman phone for priority one. Um, but he wasn't standing next to his red Batman phone, right? So we've been trying that for a half hour, dude. You're just standing around outside. I don't know. <laughs> Take your pager with you, letting your hair blow around, looking suave. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know. He he go, runs off with the with the officer in the helicopter, and asking him like, "What's going on?" Uh, and the guy says, "I don't know. You know, I never had to deliver a priority one command before. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, sir. I'm scared spitless just thinking about it." And so it turns out he's got written orders, but they're written in a code. So Mac is looking at it and he says, "Yes, yes, it makes sense. All right, Delta Vega code." For use only in cases of maximum distress. 
And then he puts on some weird goggles, which maybe allow him to view the Delta Vega code. <laughs> or just cool sunglasses. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't quite notice the like connection there, but it's a interesting possible one. Maybe. It's the They Live glasses where you can see the aliens or something. <laughs> He's like, like if the Russians have nuked New York, he's like, all right, Corporal, if this information is accurate, I'm already late for the party. Let's see what this baby can do. Um, so, okay. Oh, okay. I guess I missed a transition. So the helicopter takes him and then he's in a plane. Yeah. So the next panel, he's in uh, some fighter jet and they're doing a flyover of he says he has to be in Ohio inside two hours. So from DC to Ohio. And then he takes a jet from there. That honestly, maybe he's like they're taking from the helicopter from his house to like a, a yeah. airport, airport where he can get this jet and get out there faster because the helicopter is not, gonna, not worth yeah. like a. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, and, I think there's a, a, a missing panel there that would have kind of explained it. But yeah, I guess he puts on his cool sunglasses to get in the, the fancy airplane. Um, and so he's like kind of riding in the back of this fighter jet. Uh, now they're flying over the pit. And the pilot says, yes, sir. I've got the Geiger counter running and all I get is normal background noise. Shouldn't there be? Uh, yeah, so not a nuclear explosion. Uh, the... Colonel says, all we know right now is there's never been an effect like this anywhere on Earth before. We don't have the least idea what to expect. But some, but we're, whatever it is, it's somewhere underneath all that. And so they're flying over basically like a smoking crater at this point. It's really kind of impossible to see into it. Um, he's like, I'm going to try and raise a ground station. He calls down to Pittsburgh, uh, but no response, as, as we can only expect. The jet kind of runs into some trouble with the breeze. Uh, you know, he says he wants to pull around, um, take a few more passes to kind of look at it. And he says, we're going to need to haul it back to operations and start laying the groundwork for some serious maneuvering. But right now, I've got one special call to make. <laughs> Hello, Domino's. Yeah, deep <laughs> dish, please. Yeah, I'm, I had to run off without dinner. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> That would be cool if you called Domino's. There's a lot of good fast food chains placement in the new universe. But yeah, he's uh, Domino's is not answering their phones. If he's going, if he's using uh, Ohio as a staging area, let me suggest Luigi's, which is in the Akron area. Uh, Famous (laughs) uh, pizza made um, is the. from Funky Winker being the comic book uses a Montoni's uh, that was based on it. So <laughs> all of you comic lovers out there, they don't have a, a deep down. they don't have a like pointless food gimmick like uh, was it Cincinnati putting uh, oh, chili, chili on top of pasta for some reason like they couldn't come up with a better gimmick food. I I tried that finally in this this summer uh, the Skyline chili. Um, it's it's um, not bad. I don't know. It's a little. Uh, I mean, you can put chili on rice, and that's okay, but I don't know that it's like local delicacy. 
Yeah, but I don't, I don't, no one's going to have uh, fries on their salad anymore if Pittsburgh is gone. So think <laughs> about what we've lost in terms of local delicacies. Here. Oh, man. <laughs> fries on salad? Really? That's a thing? I think so. Hmm. Yeah, or like a sandwich also. Yeah, y'all fancy pencil, your fancy uh, Philadelphians <laughs> with your cheese sticks and your croutons on salad. We'll one up them with French fries on salad. <laughs> it's interesting. Absolutely nowhere is like a health food uh, thing, a, a local delicacy, but okay. Hmm. A, uh, I don't know. I mean, some new age. <laughs> Pop those out for tater tots and you got me interested, but I don't know about french fries. I feel like they'll just get soggy and cold. (laughs) But anyway, he was not making a call to any of these terrible food ideas. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We got to another panel of of a big like cargo plane flying near the pit. um, And we get a word balloon saying, Tin Lizzie to close up. We're receiving you, Colonel. We're on the go line, ready to launch in three minutes. Who could this be? Well, it's our old friend Jenny Swenson from Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. Sometimes called Spitfire. Sometimes the suit's called Spitfire. Sometimes her password is Spitfire. <laughs> it's, the Max uh, suit. I'm going to just call it the Max suit. Uh, yeah, they do it again because they Spitfire runs. Uh, anyway. Yeah, maybe she's talking in the third person like, George is going to go visit the pit. <laughs> <laughs> George is getting ready. So, uh, yeah, yeah, she, the, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, so like the there, she gets a like a voiceover from someone she calls Wheeler, which I don't think we 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 saw in in her book before, right? Yeah, it doesn't sound familiar. But um, and then uh, we get the teeniest little Jake Travis cameo, like a little blip of him. She's like, "Come on, Jake, let's get her revved up." And he's like, "Are you sure? We haven't tested all the suit systems. Like, we just you just have to say that." I think. As, as the guy, uh, but she hops in. She's like, "We'll just have to make this the first full-scale test, Jake. A lot of the stuff in here has never been used in the field." Uh, and he says, "I'm just leery about all this. We've never run a mission on U.S. soil. We've been out there killing lots of brown people, but do we have to tell the army boys to? Take, why don't we tell them to take care of business themselves?" I added the Look, brown people line, but <laughs> I'm fine with using this to uh, napalm small villages in Central America, but using it on U.S. soil that brings up some moral qualms. I have. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jake. Okay. Uh, and just to hammer at home, Swenson uh, Jenny's putting the helmet on the suit as she's in it. So, Jake, in case you've forgotten these days, we are the Army Boys. Spitfire runs only when when and where Uncle Sam says. And if we want to be able to continue to do our good works, we have to do what Uncle Sam wants. With air quotes with with the good works thing. (laughs) That's emphasis mine. (laughs) I rescue some villages. I genocide others. You know, it all balances out in the end, I like to think. Maybe if we're lucky, like someone secretly made a copy of her father's AI program that was kind of a pacifist. (laughs) Sneak it in there somewhere. (laughs) Do you remember me at all, Jenny? I was your father. Okay. Remember that whole thing where you were sad that I died and (laughs) we're going to, you know, help people with this suit that I made instead of turning it into a combat mech? No. You know, I was going to, I'm sorry. Doesn't ring a bell. I was going to point out the, um, 
when we like when we started the there's a back cover is actually sort of uh, also part of the design I guess and uh, it's like black there's a star brand logo and then the three major characters of the book the witness Colonel Browning and Spitfire so yeah we finally got into the Spitfire portion of it yay it's good to have her back honestly as much as we uh, are not approving her uh cia loving methods these days it's good I to mean, have one of the returning characters yeah it's be- it's probably because we 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 are going through the books a little faster than they came out but um it feels like it, it hasn't been so long since her book got canceled but at the time this was a good six months after it so yeah right. yeah so the spitfire launches um and you know she's communicating with our Colonel Browning, uh, flying around in his jet plane. And he says, "You're packing some of the most sophisticated scanning and imaging equipment modern science can produce. Probe the storm cloud and report what you find." So go and check it out. She says, "We'll do." Close up over cloud center in seven seconds, going into descent. Um, from there, we cut to the witness again, and. Or no, we got one more page, sorry. Um, the Spitfire suit is so uh, <laughs> obscured, kind of flying down. She's just basically flying down to smoke and steam. Um, just, and she said, the dispatch said, Pittsburgh blacked out, complete shutdown, no, no signals coming out, disaster of unknown nature. Uh, they called for her because, you know, she, uh, because they didn't think it was safe to go in there, but she's got this supreme environmentally secure suit of armor. And she's like, I've never seen anything this weird. Maybe Jake was right. Maybe I should have tried to pass on this little mission. But what sort of phenomena would account for these freakish weather conditions? Certainly not a nuclear meltdown. Um, and then we cut to witness. Meltdown's an interesting supposition, even because, you know, a, a nuclear plant going down doesn't go off like a bomb. Right. Um, and a professor of engineering at MIT would know that. But um, <laughs> it's a there's also no no nuclear plants in the area, I think. So, mm. anyway. yeah, so there's, there's sort of this weird interlude where the witness is is doing the same thing. So the witness is floating down into into the pit to see what's going on. Right. Nothing can really harm him. He's sort of ghost guy um, as as he floats down past the cloud. He sees the city. So. Um, you see the buildings, there's people all kind of standing around and everybody turns to look at him. Uh, and he kind of lands there and like, everybody can see me. He's really excited. Um, you see, he can feel the ground. Things kind of feel normal for him. Uh, but I keep hearing whispers. They're talking. I can't quite hear you. And then all of the people on, on the street kind of turn and look at him like a twilight zone thing or something. And they're all like you guilty fault guilty you fault um and he's like what something about fault or guilt please speak up and then they just start yelling at him uh you're the one you did it our city you're guilty and all of the people start sort of charging him and kind of grab him and dogpile him like they're you know beating him up like an old-fashioned cartoon or something so a little weird there um we're thinking it's kind of a hallucination yeah it's a little weird it uh but you can imagine it's a good kind of cinematic moment, you know, it's very visual and like this kind of moment of like, what the heck's going on here? 
Yeah, I'm thinking they're like, well, okay, the witness obviously is going to go down and investigate, but it's all smoke and ash and not really much going on. So how are we going to make this more interesting? Yeah, because you don't want to cut from Jenny seeing smoke and wreckage to the witness seeing smoke and wreckage. And I'm like, okay, there's smoke. Wow, and seems like there's a lot of smoke and wreckage down here. <laughs> but we can then cut to Colonel Mac Browning driving a little army jeep amongst smoke and wreckage <laughs> <laughs> and as i say like a fine every every panel is like find the piece of a body that's here yeah mm. Jeez. not as fun as those like little children's books where there's like a little mouse hiding in every panel or something <laughs> <laughs> find the desiccated corpse honey <laughs> uh, but yeah he's he's actually driving closer to the pit but he's sort of in the outside of the pit blast zone where everything got kind of pulled in and destroyed um you know so we want to cover at least another five miles before we call it a halt so you know he's kind of driving through um and orders all the soldiers to go and kind of like clear the way for his jeep so they kind of go out there with shovels to you know get rid of the wreckage and make a path and move all the dead bodies i suppose uh and like he can't wrap his head around he's like we're trying for hours to find some sort of point of reference to even compare this to there's nothing 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 in anything i've ever seen before no war damage no storm damage and we're still a good 15 miles from the edge of it you know fact is it occurs to me we're now getting too close to my security perimeter to let these grunts keep with us so he doesn't even want them to see what's going on um throughout besides the bodies there has been little bits of like christmas wreckage i guess we're in like december mm. uh, so there's a wreath flying by before and some christmas lights kind of thing um so he tells his men to fall back and he says okay this is the absolute last point to which we'll let any civilians pass anybody argues shoot them okay <laughs> the, the guy He's telling us to says, sir, I uh, respectfully remind the colonel this is not war. Martial law has not been declared in this area. And he's like, you're right, son, but you're all you're fired. Yeah, yeah. and kills him now. Get out. <laughs> says, but you're also playing by the old rules, and I'm afraid they've all gone out the window. I'm like, uh, you got clearance for that, man? <laughs> like. That smoke you saw, that was the Constitution burning up, dude. Now get out there and start shooting some civilians for me. What? <laughs> All the civilians you can find. Uh, he's like, yeah, he says, take a look around. What do you think we're looking at here? A nuclear attack? A tornado strip? No. I think we're looking at a whole new ball game where we can kill all the civilians we want. Finally. 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 <laughs> And Spitfire chimes in. She's like, but I thought we only killed other countries' civilians. I'm like, no, Sick. now we can kill all the civilians. <laughs> it's the most dangerous game, and it's here. We don't have to go traveling to some... <laughs> uh, but I made that land. <laughs> so yeah, Spitfire then... I don't think we go... made up too much there, believe me. But anyway. Yeah, not too much. <laughs> We're reading between the lines here. We know what's going on. <laughs> so... Jenny in her max armor uh, gets cut to it and she's losing radio contact with Jake. Um, she's like, well, looks like I had no one to talk to myself. This is really, really weird. <laughs> I agree with you, Professor Swenson. All right. Uh, so Wait, we take a quick break before we. Yeah, let's give it a little break. We'll see what Jenny finds in the wreckage. 
uh, coming back from the second half. What will it be? Smoke and ash and dead bodies? Mm, I'm guessing there'll be a couple of those, but a lot less than we expect. Yeah. In Maybe fact, a little Timmy's Christmas present survived. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's um more uh or maybe just more disaster porn. I don't know. We used to like have <laughs> movies like this a lot like uh you know. Um it was like a 70s thing I guess where there'd be like um an airplane that's disaster or like a skyscraper falling down or burning or something. Things where like people were like trapped avalanche yeah. you know fighting some force of nature it's a bit like that but we don't kind of zip around quite so many people as they might have done in a movie like that um, sort true. of seeing things from different angles but okay let's take five and uh come back with uh more of this excitement Welcome back. We're uh, halfway through the pit, and Jenny Swenson in her max armor uh, bouncing down into the depths of the pit to see what's down there. Now, I don't think we've uh, been following too closely, but a lot of panels and pages have time codes as we go along. Like, uh, you know, Jenny is uh, headed down and uh, in the previous page at 10.13 p.m. So it's been about four hours since the um, event happened. And uh, we'll get a little bit more of this as she goes along. Some of it's like um, uh, things that take surprisingly long to occur. But So she's uh, heading down and... Uh, it's all like clouds and storms around her and she's flying on instruments, I guess. And uh, to begin with, she's like, I can't believe it. I'm already two miles beneath sea level and I still don't have a fix on the ground. And she's running systems checks to make sure her suit's working, but uh, still is like three miles. What? Still no sign. Uh, it's not a malfunction. There's, I really am this deep. So how big is the hole where pittsburgh used to be hmm. distracting secondary question how does she run a systems check in that thing right like her arms are in the arms controlling the arms like is there like a little keypad in the palm like is she touching the buttons with her nose is it voice command like how's she running this thing oh that's a good question there are no answers technical consultants uh will need to be consulted that's those little touches of new you realism I mean, though, right? I'll be honest, the this uh so if you look at like page 17, she is climbing into the armor and you know it looks like she wouldn't just like sort of stick her hand her arms into its arms, like it's huge compared to her. So I the scale's a little, you know Well it looks huge compared to her on that panel on the left, but then it looks kind of like body sized on the one on the right. Yeah, so I mean it's a good question. Like 
Because the know. man amplified experiment was like, you know, the machine amplifies the movements of the body, right? So then like the precise motor mm-hmm. functions of the human body are then amplified by the by the bot, right? That's kind of the whole point. Right. Cybernetics is amplification of human potential, not just creation of a big red robot, which is what everyone thought yeah. this was. But this is a little more and more like Iron Man, like it can kind of scan and fly and do anything. I mean, yeah, it's uh, so I think it's versatility is part of its like uh, supposedly, you know, everything um, advanced uh, sensors you could want. And uh, I'm not quite sure protection for the user. And they always say there's no weapons, but we all wink, wink. No, there's lots of weapons in there. But right. Um, so yeah, the controls are a good question. How's she doing it? Like a heads up display? I don't know. Some very advanced uh techniques. I know the like, uh, like we don't even have flat stuff screen. that tracks your eyes. Yeah. yeah, we don't even have flat screen TVs at this point, right? Right, right. So if so. she's got a, a monitor screen, it's a CRT, like a big, big boy, or just like that, like you know, um. Bunch of flashing lights you'd get in movies back then. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, So she's thinking to herself how there's just a big hole where Pittsburgh was and how deep is it? And she keeps going down eight miles, nine. This is mind blowing. The deepest man has ever dug into the Earth's crust till now was only about three miles. I'm already three times that deep. She says, I sure wish I'd read Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is. Really? You know, it's one of those, like, I thought all proto-scientists read stuff like that, but okay. So then we, uh, time codes continue, 1041, so it's like a half hour after she started flying in, and she's like, 14 miles, and I, wait, I think I'm getting a sounding, uh, maybe I found the bottom of the pit, I'll ease off on the thrusters and slow burn through the fog cover, and we're at 1102, and she is flying over the surface of what is now down there, which she realizes is a lake. There is a lake at the bottom. Hmm. A number of rivers run through Pittsburgh. The Allegheny joins with, I forget its name. It's the Monongahela to form the Ohio River. They must all be dumping into here. Um, so she's right. There's so there's two rivers coming in, but and one going out. So obviously that's going to be dry now, and these two rivers are just dumping water continuously into this um, fifteen mile deep pit. So she says that's not all that's dumping in. All the debris from the surrounding areas must have been swept up over the edge, and yeah, you see all pieces of trees and houses and cars, probably bubbling green it. stuff bubbling green um green gold texas tea no i don't know <laughs> um it'll be worth something so she says there's no signs of life and uh maybe you know because everything was incinerated there and everything that fell in or was pushed in by the hurricane probably didn't survive a 15 mile drop that's pretty sensible honestly it but is. She then thinks, I'll go into the water and take a sample for chemical analysis. Um, which, you know, you can kind of float on the surface and do that, not just dive into 
mystery <laughs> fluid. The only way. The only way to fly. Like the so, and, when they're going to get ice from the North Pole, it's like, where else are you going to get ice? So I don't think we saw uh, the Max Armor go underwater. Well, no, wait, the first issue first or issue, two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she was fighting with someone in like an older version of Max Armor. So, okay. Well, it's been a while. That's cool. Part of, again, like I say, the versatility going uh, through air, going underwater. But she is down now uh, swimming around under this water with these uh, uh, suits propelling her. She's like, it's dark as pitch down here. I have to fly by instruments. And then she gets some sort of reading and thinks there's something uh, maybe still alive. Sonar readings seem to make it out to be an automobile, an old Volkswagen. The movement's coming from inside. And we get a nice panel of the family that was... Uh, stuck in the VW in the first place is still alive inside of this with their uh, uh, windows rolled up and they're, you know, uh, underwater, just, you know, screaming and waiting to die, I guess. So I'm not really sure how they survived that, but especially it's a long drop. Yeah. 15 miles. If you were dropped from 15 miles, well, I don't know. Wind disruptions were pretty severe. Who knows? Let's just w- hand wave a little of this. Yeah. Just so if there's have... still air for them in there, why isn't it floating? That's a good point, too. It is now, let's say, 11 o'clock. They were pushed over the edge at like right after it occurred at uh, 6.08. So it's been five hours since they uh, fell into the pit. So, yeesh. Uh, it's a um, couple of, uh, you know, questions that um, we'll just sort of leave to uh, chalk up to cinematic realism. And uh, back outside, uh, Jenny is um, realizing that, yeah, there's people inside the car. So she's grabbed a hold of it and is pushing it up through uh, the water to the surface. She's like, I won't be alive long if I don't get him out of the soup. Then there's a warning from the suit, armor seals breached. And she thinks to herself, what the seals breached? But this sardine can is airtight. No way water could get in. Wait, this may not just be water around me. Pittsburgh and 15 miles of bedrock beneath it couldn't have been disintegrated into nothingness. There must be some sort of ash, residue, something. And whatever it is, it must be so so peculiar that it can penetrate my airlocks. Mm. Uh Uh-oh. Well, when you die, you poop, right? <laughs> a lot of corpses in there. <laughs> You're swimming in it. Yeah. Also, the scale, and there's an image of, like, seeing through the screen of the helmet, and then, mm. like, all of a sudden, like, it looks like she's maybe the size of the head. Like, <laughs> yeah. She's just sitting in the helmet, and it's 50 <laughs> feet tall. Oh, by the way, at some point it says that the armor weighs 1,260 pounds. Um, okay, so that'd be like so, a small car. Yeah, so it shouldn't be too much larger than that car, honestly. So, I don't and know. it isn't really, depending on the picture. So, I realize it's a you know, it's a lot to kind of keep some of the stuff consistent. But um, armor to car, pretty consistent. Jenny to armor yeah. seems to vary a bit. But 
Um, Shooter would be rolling around in his office chair if he saw this one. Get in here. What did I tell you about consistency? You can, he's twice as big on this page as he is on this one. What is that? Um, yeah, anyway, so we are at 12.01 a.m. Now it's December 23rd, 1987. And Jenny has just broken the surface, uh, pushing uh, this this VW, which is unfortunately colored the same color as the Max armor. So we have two red objects linked together. Great. Um, she breaks the surface and is like, made it, thank goodness. Made it with 15 miles to go. She says, opened up the exhaust vents, but I don't feel the pit water draining. Doubt the air seal on this VW was any better off than mine. 100% you are not <laughs> anywhere near as good. The uh, people inside are have stopped screaming or asking what happened. It feels like we're back in the air. Our kids are screaming still. So now it's uh, 18 minutes later, and suddenly there's a problem with Jenny's um, suit again, and it says 20% warning, 20% impairment of jet functions. What? Overload, overload, reduce cargo, or further impairment, 99%. Reduce cargo, but no, oh, no, I can't abandon the only survivors. So, Colonel well, Browning would. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, okay, only chance, ditch the car, but save the people. So she tells uh, the suit is warning they only have seconds. And these people don't even know what this thing is, they think it's just a robot. Uh, she rips the uh, door off of it and says, don't be alarmed, folks. Come in. I've come to get you out of there. They're like screaming and asking her to go away. <laughs> and she's telling them to uh, unbuckle and climb onto her. Um, keep in mind, they've been flying through the air for quite a while. so they, And they have no idea how high up they are. But um, the, the family does do it. All, I guess, four of them. Climbs out of the car and Jenny, with like a second to go, uh, lets go of it, which uh, flies back down. And it's uh, twelve nineteen. She's like, "Yay, we did it! Don't worry, let's just get out of here." And then the next panel is like a half hour later. Yeah, <laughs> still, and you're not just like you know miles above anything. You're clinging to the surface of this like giant metal robot. Hmm. They needed to go it. back a couple panels to when it was huge and they she could have let them in. <laughs> yeah. Please enter on the lower quadrant. Uh, yeah, the sanctuary. Timmy, robot. you control the left leg and <laughs> let's vulture on this sucker. There you go. She says, I hope I'm not crushing any of these people that I have to hold firmly to make sure no one slips. <laughs> it would have been funnier if they ended up with like the kids broken arms or something yeah. at the time she gets out there. They are out at 1.04 a.m. It's like an hour of this uh, horrible experience. But and she's like, woof, made it. There's the edge of the pit. Woo, took me a bit, but we are out. There you go, folks. She lets them down on the ground. And then suddenly it's the old like flash, flash, giant lights come on. And uh, yeah, the army is there. So they uh, take uh, the family and... Uh, 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 the family thanks Jenny 
bless you, whoever you are. If you hadn't shown up, my family, it's okay. Oh, and one <laughs> I of the like kids. the oh, mommy, that transformer <laughs> saves us. <laughs> yeah, this is going back for that one. Yeah, the uh, soldiers are thinking, wow, it's that Spitfire robot we were briefed about. Didn't realize it was so big. <laughs> yeah, the transformer saved us. Um, the family goes on to what we can only presume is a long and happy life after that. Right. I'm guessing even that Volkswagen survived, given how given how durable <laughs> it seemed to be. Uh, um, so let's see. I, I just want to point out that the um, when Brownie Mac uh, stopped their advance, they were 15 miles from the edge of the pit. So I'm not quite sure what kind of a base camp we've got set up, but... I'm not also sure how close it is to the edge of the pit now. Right, because he kind of made a big deal. He didn't want any of the grunts seeing it or something. But yeah, I'm so, assuming I mean, that they this popped is right close. over the edge. And I would say it's you know let's let's be charitable and say they were headed in the right direction to find the army base camp when they were getting out. So she picks them up and is kind of not just flying up, but she's flying towards whatever wherever the army was coming because it's a bit much for it to be like have surrounded the whole thing right i mean it's like 150 miles of you know death zone to to uh, maybe they came out like like they would have the ability to track the suit as it's coming up out yeah, yeah, maybe it, they, and then maybe they drove some trucks out to meet her and then are driving him back to see uh colonel fascist that's also possible. <laughs> I mean, Mac Browning, right? Mac McIntyre Browning, yes. So she's thinking herself, I should feel glad, good about saving four lives, but I feel as numb thinking of the millions who are vaporized or drowned or buried or snuffed out or torn apart by winds or crushed under uh, VW or drowned in the water. Oh, she did drown already. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the guy says, uh, Spitfire Colonel Browning wants to see you ASAP. Are you talking to me or the armor? Because you call us both Spitfire, so on. 129 a.m., she shows up at one of those um army tents that he has now made a HQ out of and talks directly to Colonel Mac Browning. You're the only one who's seen this thing close up, Swenson. I've read the transcript of your signals, but I want to hear it from your own lips. Uh, she's like, uh, anyway, she's like, I'm not a soldier. I don't profess to have the right stuff. All down there was all I could do to keep from puking my guts out, which would have been really gross in that confined space of that right. armor I was wearing. But anyway, all those dead American people. I'm not used to dead American people. So pale, so colorless. I didn't understand. Ah, I guess we all do bleed the same. You, me, everyone I've killed working for the CIA. All of us. <laughs> we get a little dark sometimes with our Spitfire work. But anyway, back at it. Um, Sorry, Josh. <laughs> she, <laughs> she gives... Uh, sort of off panel so we just get like a few panels of um max response uh this like visceral disgust as he's listening to her report so 
she uh, gives him whatever, and he's just, dear God. <laughs> so he goes outside, Sergeant, password along. I want this base camp sealed up tight. No signals in and out unless I send him nothing, except it comes through me. So Jenny's like, uh, like, I hope that's not just some macho trip you're on, Colonel. Keep the... Keep your chatter to yourself, Swenson. My orders apply to you too. Then I really will puke. I okay. <laughs> Relationships falling apart pretty fast here. Mac phones uh Cheyenne Mountain at 1:43 a.m. and they tell uh, some superiors tell him, uh, yes, that's clear. You can take this as from the commander in chief without actually showing the commander in chief on page. So it's like some superior is saying. Yep, go ahead, martial law, whatever you need, break the uh, Constitution, whatever you want. You have maximum authority in this. Do anything you deem necessary to keep that area sealed. I'll repeat that, Colonel. Anything you deem necessary. <laughs> if you want to shoot people down or just shoot them in the back, whatever, the president will back you 100%. Sure, he's asleep right now. And I'm kind of doing this on his authority, but I'm also not really waking him up to check. So anyway, we cut unsuspiciously over to a small helicopter, which has WROK on the side of it. I looked up and that doesn't seem to be a, like a TV station or anything. So, mm. but um, there's two guys in there. One's uh, the pilot and the other one's a reporter. I don't know about you, Smitty, but I'm seeing the biggest dang story to ever to come down the pike. And I ain't about to tell anybody it ain't there. And they're like, oh, well, what happened to Pittsburgh? And nothing's down there. They can't see anything. But they see a uh, army attack helicopter coming up behind them, which is now radioing to them. I repeat, you are in security airspace. You are instructed to follow us back to a holding area. And uh, the reporters are not acting sympathetically at this point. Oh mm -hmm. man, this just gets better and better. Yeah, I read you. Can you read this? And the guy's like uh, thumbing his nose at the at the uh, army helicopter. I find it hard to believe anyone would act like this with like as much weaponry as this helicopter has on. Is it, a pilot who you generally take as a fairly serious person? Yeah, you have to like pat be licensed and all kinds of things, and not just like. I'm sure part of the licensing process is like, so if an you know the army orders you to not go somewhere or to just clear the airspace, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, flip them the bird and uh, you know. <laughs> so yeah, the army guys on the radio are like, look, buddy, don't screw around. This is serious, and the reporters are saying. Hey, there's a story down there, and a little thing called the First Amendment says we got a right to report it. Does not exactly say you have a right to enter a forbidden zone, but um, no, no, recall, no, okay. So the uh, pilots on this attack uh, helicopter, uh, Skywise Six to Ground Zero, ask uh, Browning for uh, orders. He says, "You know the situation, Skywise. Give them one last warning." They still don't won't back turn back. Shoot them down, Skywise. Jenny, of course, is still in the tent, standing around uh, Gabin. No, you can't. 
And Mac just says, I'm feeling I'm going to get very tired of hearing that phrase in the next few hours. Understand this, Swenson. There is nothing I can't do. There's nothing nothing I'd rather do than annihilate civilians. (laughs) (laughs) Civilian murders. (laughs) At last. Oh, the pilots aren't, uh, you know, too trigger happy. They're like, you copy? It's your last warning. Turn back now or we'll be forced to stop you. You can't bluff us, flyboy. Do your worst. (laughs) Kaboom. Oof. So... Uh, actually yeah. more of a but boom but yeah <laughs> but the point is made either way i guess yeah it was interesting because you know i, I looked up kind of some stuff and, and of course you know colonel is below general special forces kind of operate on their own thing you know it could be direct from the president so that sort of makes sense but you know why is this guy in charge in particular um but if it's there's not even martial law like the, the military really shouldn't be operating within those borders, I suppose, right? Unless they're responding to an invasion. But but un- under military law, like it just even sedition can be punishable by death. So, uh, yeah, I mean, gray it's, there. A, it's a gray zone because, I mean, I don't I don't know of like any actual historical you know thing I can compare this to very easily where. You would say, you know, this this is a, you know, reaches a level at which the army descends on everything and sort of shuts everything down. Um, so, like, I, I mean, you remember he's trying night. to prevent like a world war or something like that is like the best case scenario I can I can give Colonel Browning, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. They haven't sort of beat, gone into it yet because they're mostly just kind of investigating it as a curiosity. It's an unexplained phenomenon. But I mean, the reason they would grab this military guy and throw a, you know an army detachment along with him is because they, one of the first thoughts is like, there's a weapon and someone's attacking us with it. So... Right. The idea that like a city disappears doesn't say like someone had an accident. It says, you know, this was done on purpose, which, you know, from what we've seen is not, you know. uh, So, yeah. um, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I was just thinking like 9-11, if there was any plane that was like, yeah, look, I, I want to get a good view of this to like they would have shot them the hell down too. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The, again, uh, but yeah, again, that's even sort of different because, you know, they're they're worried that another plane might be another attack, whereas there's not much worry that these reporter dudes are dangerous, right? Yeah, it's... uh questionable like what well we'll get to like the end of the story to see how much is is sealed up there they're gonna be at the end of the day but we flash over to the witness it's 2 a.m and he's got these um people you know shouting at him destroyer monster murderer and he's like just saying i had nothing to do with it i don't i honestly i was just standing there the tall blonde guy, that's who you want. Can you just stop it? Um, he tries flies away and then <laughs> notices they're flying after him. So, oh, of course, they're phantoms like me. Great. This, uh, uh, he's, he's a little worried that, like, maybe, uh, that 
they will uh, tear him apart or something. He's screaming. And um, just when he's about to give up, suddenly he sees that, oh, they're gone. So he is back floating above the pit, which is now filled with smoke and devastation when he's just um, similar uh, to where he started. He's just, everyone's gone. Everything below is nothing but a smoldering crater. What happened to it all? I couldn't have imagined it all. Ghostly survivors? What is really down there? Again, people... A little bit of mystery, maybe. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about what's going on. Actually, wouldn't it be kind of an amazingly weird and interesting story direction if the entire people of Pittsburgh got turned into, like, ghostly paranormals, like the witness? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is a... (laughs) 400,000, 600,000 of these like phantoms. Yeah, that would be fun. But um, given their limit, like the how limited the story potential of one witness has been. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It is uh, at 318. Colonel Browning is uh, waiting for something from Jenny. And he says, Swenson, you've been sweating over that oversized soup can for the past two hours. Now, uh, I need that video transmission. You said you could play me so I can decide what to do. She said, it's not just a videotape, Colonel. I've been feeding data into Max's computer graphics program. And in order to generate a composite image of the entire Pittsburgh area as it now exists. And he says, how long is this art project of yours going to take? She says, the last megabits, bits, have data have been entered, Colonel. Should all be on screen any moment now. And they have, yeah, so they're looking at, uh, like, the inside of her um, helmet. So, like, there is computer display in there. Interesting. Yeah. It looks kind of like an Atari game. <laughs> and Which suits the times, honestly. I yeah, mean, yeah. You can do a little better, but. I can just picture like the rough graphics you would have gotten from a movie at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Like all green on black kind of good yeah, times. A couple of <laughs> pixels. So yeah, this is the um whatever um graphic uh that we uh we've seen at the end of the book, um, sort of, um, except from kind of an angle where we've got a, like a flat circle that's the um, ground level and uh, then underneath like a hemisphere and then she sort of calculates out over it so where the original sphere was so she says yeah 50 miles across 15 miles deep whatever caused it punched a hole in the ozone layer and scooped out uh so much from the earth's crust that the magma layers laid bare so they can sort of calculate out what was like this whole original uh, sphere of destruction so then he uh browning's like your soup can is it operational yet have you filtered out whatever that sludge you told me seeped in i suppose so really you just hosed it out this mystery (laughs) juice (laughs) good I need you to go back in there and gather more data for the science boys. Yay, science boys. <laughs> Shouldn't she be the, the science boys? She is supposedly the science girl. 
computer diagram you showed me spooks me. This area seems very unstable. I can't imagine what the environmental impact is going to be. Wow, he's an environmentalist. Yeah. Like you never know. <laughs> he says we need more data, much more. Sir, there may be more survivors in the area. Not until I shoot him, there isn't. I mean, no. <laughs> she says, you know, maybe not on the crater, but along the edge, and we could go around, and maybe they're collapsed or house or caught under debris. I want to use a Spitfire suit. Why does she call it that? To search them. The uh, devastated area is so big, so inaccessible, no one else will be able to reach them in time but me. And he's just noble sentiments, but I categorically forbid it. <laughs> you are a government agent, Swenson, have been for at least 12 issues now. And as far <laughs> as this area is concerned, I'm the government. So you stow it. So she says, uh, glad you have that bird stitched to your collar, Colonel, because it saves me from having to give you one. She wanted to flip on the bird. That would have been an amazing panel, though, to be fair. They should have included it. <laughs> Marvel's The Pit, mature readers only. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. If you can show a corpse, you can show a middle finger, Marvel. <laughs> she says, tells him she's, he's got 15 seconds to clear the launch area, and he starts yelling at her. Get your butt out of that two-ton tinker toy right now, or I'll have you court-martialed. Which only affects people in the military. She does a countdown and he runs for it wisely. And yeah, the um, next page, the suit is blazing up out of the tent, probably um, rather dangerously flying over him and a couple of the guards. Running shouts out, Spitfire has gone AWOL. Shoot her, shoot her down. <laughs> and Hold if you happen to hit any civilians, you know, it <laughs> might make me feel better about this whole thing. Well, he pulls out a sidearm and fires off a couple of rounds at her himself. Blast you, Swenson. I'm the law here. Without law, law civilization will crumble. <laughs> he continues oh. shooting and yelling as she's out of sight. <laughs> Go ahead, dig a few people out of the mud and trash. It'll make you feel good. But when this flipping hole starts causing the rest of the earth to shift and quake, and millions of more people begin to die. I hope you remember how you failed to provide us the scientific data to tell us where to evacuate. And one of the guards sees firing off in the same direction is thinking to himself, what's he screaming about? <laughs> the guards are more like real people. <laughs> this guy's nuts. <laughs> New universe real, real, realism check uh, withstand. So she thinks that, you know, the suit is built to withstand uh, anti-tank shells. So she's good in good shape, but she's really gone and done it this time. Some spe top government special operative to insubordinate renegade all in the space of a minute and a half. Sorry, Jake. Hope you can forgive me for this. Jake, whatever your name was. Brevis? And... <laughs> so she's like, she's uh, tells her sensors to like, Show me some signs of life. We're now at 421 again. Um, Jenny back. wakes up next, inside the uh, mobile laboratory of Professor Swenson with the three <laughs> Optimus Prime trucks. And I'm like, oh, that was a weird dream I had. Ooh, what a nightmare. Well, thank God that's over. She's 
Good thing of I course, it's a dream. Five troubleshooters to keep me company. Uh, we are uh, so we're back at the lake at the bottom of the pit, and the witness is kind of walking around, hovering a few feet over the top of the water. He's thinking to himself, the city's gone, nothing but a huge crater rapidly filling with water and debris. And I guess I just imagine it all unable to face the reality of what happened. I went insane. I began to hallucinate a scenario far easier for me to accept than the death of a million people. I imagine survivors like me, but I'm just a ghost, blah, 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 blah. And strangely <laughs> enough, just then, the Max Armor... Uh, pops out of a cloud around him and Jenny is thinking to herself, what in the world? A man in a trench coat flying. First time anyone has seen the witness, I believe. Um, yeah. If you don't count the antibody, I guess, right? All right. Okay. The antibody. There we go. So she says, halt and identify yourself. And Interestingly, the witness now thinks that he is hallucinating again. I understand wanting to see survivors, uh, but why big red robots? Mm -hmm. He sinks down into the water to kind of make himself disappear. And Jenny is thinking that I saw a guy a minute ago, but now it's gone. And the sensor said there's nothing there. So am I losing it? Anyway, she thinks... Even though it takes like an hour to fly in and out of the pit, she's like, well, I guess there's nothing down alive down here, so I'll just search around the perimeter instead. Curious moment. Um, yeah, it's kind of strange. It doesn't really amount to anything, but maybe a little later. Future. I'm not looking forward to more Witness in future comics, but... Oh, thank God you came back, Witness. Now someone can relay your message to you. Jenny, like, knew... Um, star brand so they had crossed over a couple of times so if maybe the witness described the tall blonde man he saw mm -hmm. uh, i don't know so he thinks uh you know that he's got to figure out a purpose for himself and there's no reason i was made to i was drawn to pittsburgh and made to live through this unless i make a reason and by the power that makes me what i am i know what i'm gonna do I'm going to find the tall blonde man and make certain he's dead. And mm. if he's not, I will not rest until I find a way to make him pay. Pittsburgh, you shall be avenged. <laughs> I don't think the uh, game of I'm not touching you is very effective when you're a ghost. <laughs> this is when the witness became the first of the new universe's what we call Avengers. But... <laughs> I just imagine him like Ken Connell's like in hiding somewhere and he's like trying to focus all of his <laughs> paranormal power to like rattle a cupboard or something <laughs> like spooky, <laughs> isn't it? Spooky. <laughs> Go away, witness. Let justice do the avenging. Uh it's almost five at five AM and Mac is thinking i should be doing something i should be leading my troops against the enemy but who's the enemy here we'll take responsibility <laughs> <laughs> who can we pit our might against to set the word right again and i think he means what the world right again mm. must kill more innocent people <laughs> uh weird like this balloon it seems like uh the lettering's a little like off like it would have been spaced better 
because it's just one word by itself on the bottom line. Yeah. I don't know. Um, just then we got a one of these communication guys. Excuse me, Colonel. There's something coming over the air. You should see. It's a new show, Nightline. And they have already figured out something's up. Because the Russians released satellite photos of the eastern United States, which show um, the area around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to be totally leveled. And uh, Pentagon officials could not be reached to confirm or deny, and Pittsburgh's been totally blacked out uh, since 6 o'clock last night. Rounding things to himself, the news got out, despite everything I've done. The news got out. I mean, how long were they expecting to hide this? I thought they were just right? trying to lock it down, you know, but it's yeah. like. But I guess okay. that's why he killed the helicopter reporter. <laughs> now he's got to go kill everyone on Nightline. No. Um, do you think it turns out that civilian copter I had shot down? There was no need, except for the sheer joy of it, I guess. <laughs> Lousy Russians. Probably wanted to be the first to spread the word so they wouldn't get blamed. Well, I'm going to blame them anyway. Someone uh, else is on the phone and says, uh, Colonel, Skywise has got Spitfire in her sights. They want to know if they should open fire. No, tell Skywise to hold fire. Enough damage has been done for one day. Mm -hmm. Colonel walks out of the tent into some light, and we have the time, final time, 6.06 a.m., 12 hours after all this chaos broke loose. Dawn, the color of blood and rust. Last night I told someone we were looking at a whole new ball game here. One where the old rules don't apply, where the ballpark has been turned inside out. Um baseball metaphor there. Where neither the players nor the spectators know the score. Okay, dude. I'm tired. I better go write my report. So we close out with a nice kind of bookend with instead of the witnesses text piece, we have a um, the colonel's report. Again, it's uh, white type on black to give it a little more gravitas. And uh, I don't want to do it word by word here. Yeah. Colonel's report. All I can think about is the missed opportunities, the <laughs> civilians that I may have been able to kill, but did not. Uh, he says, uh, by the way, he's in the Army's Defense Intelligence Agency. I would have thought the DIA would be like a, you know, multi-service thing. But he says he's seen a lot of disturbing things in Southeast Asia, in Granada, in El Salvador. What I saw in Pittsburgh last night blows everything away. What did he do in Granada? That was like a weekend. He killed lots and lots of civilians is what he did <laughs> to beat that joke to death. <laughs> oh. It's good to beat that one. He says the, um, you know, the, the world ended as we knew it yesterday, but with a million people dead or dying, a hundred towns and villages destroyed with the earth bleeding from a mortal wound. He really thinks there's a, like, you know, that the geological effects are going to be massive, which is um, interesting. I, I mean, yeah, it's a little questionable, honestly, but. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, Weather, it's, yeah. It's an angle, yeah. Mm -hmm. He doesn't understand why it, what or why it happened. He calls it the Pittsburgh effect, like the so-called white event a year and a half ago, are phenomena without precedent beyond the realm of known science. Someone suggested that the so-called superhero who turned up in Pittsburgh may have had something to do with this. I'm betting we're never going to know. 
Ah, they did because I mean that was part of the thing was that he had gone public. People right. knew there's a superhero in Pittsburgh. And there could have been a moment at least to have kind of tied him to that uh convention explosion, potentially. Right. So depending on at least whether people knew he was gonna be home. there and that it exploded. So Yeah, and that was in the morning. That was ten AM, which as we said, that should have been enough of like a you know, earth changing event you know enough people dying that you know they they take this stuff like as deadly serious and change everyone's approach to things but well anyway we'll just continue and finish up uh max talk pittsburgh is gone completely completely this fact must be understood absolutely the city was within a sphere of earth and atmosphere measuring 50 miles in diameter which is now completely converted into the strange inert material now at the bottom of the crater, the pit, as I've heard it ghoulishly referred to. Our chances of analyzing a pure sample of this material were destroyed by the storms and debris that followed the effect. Also, the waters of the Monongahela and Allegheny rivers, which are pouring over the rim, creating a spectacular waterfall. So he's talking about ruptured tectonic plates, volcanic activity, hole in the ozone, and a planet that's a whole different place from where it was when we all went to sleep in our safe, safe snug beds two nights ago. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Actually, that's not the end. And we also have this nice diagram of the pit on the last page. The uh, sort of sideways view where we go from like the... Um, earth crust to levels of the atmosphere and then a map of southwestern pennsylvania where the area of um destruction of the pit as well as there's an extra line that i i just noticed has the extent of spheres overhang because um the pit's center was 10 miles up there's you know a zone where um uh, as far as that went, I guess. Um, the everything, the Pittsburgh airport, um, all the way out to Greensburg, Evans City. Yeah, that's quite a, quite a zone of destruction there. I was uh, driving around uh, Indianapolis not long ago, and like that's one of those cities that has a big belt highway yeah. system. It's about 30 miles around. Um, and so that's like similar to in size to like this kind of zone. Pittsburgh doesn't really have that. And you just are in uh, sort of suburbs and whatever. It's close to the Ohio border, which is, I presume, where that uh, army base is staging. Um, and then they have various details about the volume and number of people probably killed. Uh, volume of Earth eradicated 1488 cubic miles. So, uh, um, maybe some somebody don't... still remembered their uh, volume of a sphere formulas and such. Yeah, at least one person did some hard work on a calculator back uh, to get some of those <laughs> numbers. But yeah. hey, remember back when like the new universe? We were talking about the launch of the new universe and how like the city of Pittsburgh was a little bit excited to have like a comic book set in Pittsburgh with a Pittsburgh superhero and stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing. You get sort of on the on the map with a um, 
superhero universe and the next thing you know there's some you know super villain destroying everything <laughs> so let's see i wanted to throw out some things that i've come across if uh about the destruction of pittsburgh there's yeah. a book written a few published a few, 10 15 years ago that's um i think it's categorized science fiction by tom sweaterlish called tomorrow and tomorrow and it uh posits a future in which pittsburgh has been destroyed by an, a terrorist uh nuclear weapon which incinerated most of it and it's a story about a guy who was like out of town at the time and so he lost his family and everything and um I mean, there's a lot of really like diggy, you know, his memory is really killing him and he's, but he's like always sort of losing himself in the memory of it. Thanks to like an advanced virtual reality kind of duplicate of it that they've created to as a memorial. So um, a real interesting story, uh, kind of pro, you know, it's, it's got rough spots at times, but uh uh, an enjoyable one. Um, I also noticed that in a, I think, second edition of Gamma World, a TSR role-playing game, which is like a post-apocalyptic future, mm-hmm. one of the like uh, the settings um, that they give you as a starting point is like a nuked Pittsburgh. Yeah. So that's Pittsburgh. Everything has like slightly changed, you know, hundreds of years in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway there's um yeah that's that's uh don't forget fallout like, 3 uh that was set in, that was set in dc but then they had like downloadable extra content where you could kind of forge away from the the game's map and one of the place one of them was you could go into pittsburgh and it was in fact called the pit oh nice okay yeah. where i the city was not like nuked but you know all of america was in the story of that game of course so then uh you know taken over by mutants and raiders and you know very road warrior-esque bad guys and such (laughs) okay nice um so do you want my top 10 list of other cities they could have destroyed absolutely (laughs) well um Start off with the two like most obvious, New York City or Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the classics, but for a reason. Yeah, seat of the government, most famous city. Yeah, New York. Uh, you know, you the financial center. Um, in D.C., they're finally thrown off the yoke of the oppressors. <laughs> America could have risen uh, free, free at last. But anyway. Yeah, that's the next best thing to to destroy if you don't have New York. Um, Buenos Aires. I don't know if you remember Starship Troopers, the movie that starts oh, yeah, with yeah. The, the bugs uh, destroyed that. Um, I think Colorado Springs was destroyed by a meteor strike or something uh, in in the background to Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, that's a nice kind of isolated one as well. Um. Los Angeles, that uh, pops up in Escape from L.A., I think. There was like a, I forget, it was like half destroyed or something. Um, 
but I'll, I'll be honest. Los Angeles is difficult to destroy just because it's so spread out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, New York, you can do a lot of damage in a small space, but L.A., it always seemed like, I don't know, you could knock, throw a couple of nukes in there and, you know, half the people <laughs> still be like just going about their business. Riverside and Orange County won't even notice. At least get Hollywood, I guess. Indeed. San Francisco, I've seen, I don't see too much of, of like futures where it's been destroyed, which is weird considering it's always seems like one of the most precarious um, metropolises to me. Yeah. In terms well, of they, got, they got their earthquake, earthquake movies already. So maybe people didn't want to bother with the, the explosion movies. <clears throat> yeah it was, it struck me as funny that like um cyberpunk 2020 like had like a you know map of america and what like the disasters had hit like almost every other part of america but maybe because the guys who wrote it lived in san francisco <laughs> that's like the one city that wasn't completely like uh destroyed in the cyberpunk dark future interesting um seriously if you want um a city to destroy and i've lived there too so i i really shouldn't put it on the list but denver or salt lake city are both high and dry so they mm. don't have like major like rivers flowing into them which would create like even more weird problems um so they're kind of uh they're also sort of isolated so not as much uh environmental impact on populated areas around you um, Detroit and Baltimore are both considered pretty dysfunctional. Uh, I forget <laughs> if like the eighties, they were considered trash cities, but, um, they're kind of, uh, just, hey, one, one of, of them is like, a major port. <laughs> the other one is a city. Yeah. They're both on water, to, uh, you know, lakes or, or the ocean too. And, uh, similarly, Boston. Uh, all the smarty pants from the first few issues of Spitfire can just, you know, <laughs> you, you, you wish the troubleshooters were here now, don't you? Anyway, mm -hmm. I think it, like I said, the, um, all the geology talk makes me think they, they were trying to be, you know, have some realistic effects of doing this, um, which would have been much worse if it was like on the Great Lakes or on the ocean. Right. I don't know how much volume that would hold, you know, and and what kind of an effect that would have on like the sea level and stuff. So yeah, I less know. with the ocean, but definitely more with the lakes, right? Like that would yeah, drop. that could have really been like our lake has disappeared. It all flowed into this hole in the ground. I don't know. Um I think uh, you know, the, the number one other city they could have uh, attacked Fairfield, Connecticut, was it was apparently where John Byrne lived, <laughs> who claims that there was nothing personal about this whole thing. So, of course not. Well, then why why isn't Connecticut disappeared? I must I ruin the character, the setting, <laughs> the side characters, the narrative. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. There's um I Yeah, mean, I think there's interviews where that have come out where other editors have talked about like that. Cause I think for a while it was sort of assumed that he was trying to stick it to Jim Shooter. 
but then uh people have come out and said like now like we you know we talked about it as you know something that would make an impact and this just sort of came up and you know we all like the idea kind of thing but yeah i'm not sure i buy it to be honest I mean, I can understand like Mackie and Gruenwald not being, you know, fixated on it, but it's like playing a, like the Ouija board. All it takes is one person who kind of wants to nudge the thing in the right direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just hey, well, what about Pittsburgh? You know, yeah, you know, uh, Pittsburgh would work. Oh, hey, I, I just took over Starbrand. I could sort of move things in that direction. That would be great, right? And you know, the Starbrand has a lot of power, so that would blow up really big, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, why are you working that angle so hard there, John? Oh, no reason, Mark and, and Howard. So anyway, what do you think? I'm just, it's up to you, but I'm just saying Pittsburgh are perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> remember that rules comparison I made, like in Starbrand 12, where it's like Duck and Myron are like, Ken Connell always likes to do things his way, you know? <laughs> You're right. Maybe yeah. like a little dig at Shooter, and then you got this Colonel browning who's sort of bloodthirsty he's like rules are out the window no more rules the new ball game new editor-in-chief or something <laughs> we can we can Tom imagine connections where world. perhaps they're not but <laughs> so browning's interesting i was um i remembered from one of the like marvel age previews that they were talking about they want you know a new character who's going to be in this thing that was going to be I think one of them said it was going to be like as if Oliver North had, was created by Jack Kirby. Um, I don't think that's quite what we got here because he's not like looking to punch Hitler. So yeah. he's, you know, North. Um, OK, but I was kind of expecting something a little more Tom Clancy, who was just sort of. You know, it was sort of early days for him and that whole techno thriller genre. So, uh, you know, the, the, you know, like a hard ass military guy as part of the mix, but he's like maybe a little more sensible than this. This guy gets a little emotional at times. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm super biased because I've just been watching all the films, but it just reminds me of like one of the military guys that sends Rambo in and then just ditches him. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know we're not going to send that rescue mission after all. <laughs> we don't really want to rescue the POWs. It's like, he does have a, the, yeah, like you can't trust him quality yeah, he, to him. That seems irredeemably bad to me, honestly. Like, I, I, maybe they were trying to not make him seem like such a super villain, but you know. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's intended to be more, um, yeah, middle of the road, like maybe a good guy in a bad situation. You know what I mean? Because he's he'll talk about like how, uh, you know, yeah, that this is completely outside his and everyone else's experience. So right, and they have panels of him like you know the horror, the horror kind of thing, but. He, that was his family in the beginning when the helicopter picked him up too. So it's not like he's like uh, completely devoid of human humanity. I guess. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> is uh, I I found the like the 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 arguing with Spitfire to be a little contrived. I mean, it's like the, at the beginning of that scene, he's like. Look, you've been working on this for two hours. Could you just show me whatever it is? And and she's like, "Okay, can I go now?" No, 
Yeah. And did we just reboot Jenny Swenson and the Max suit back to like phase one where she's like on the run or, you know, a rogue yeah, operator just her... doing her own thing? her yeah but now her her cover is blown and she's got no troubleshooters so great mm. nor a book to continue the story but i'm pretty yeah. sure she shows up well i think yeah so we've got follow-up books that'll you know tie-ins and i think we saw some max armors on some uh on the covers of something coming up so I know we try not to look into the future, but it's always like uh, sometimes we'll see something and issue it to ahead of time. Um, but I don't know. What more do we have to say about this? Any more thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I generally don't like this direction for the new universe, I suppose. I mean, we can maybe talk about it more in a recap show, but like I get the... Uh, idea it's like it's a top-down editorial shakeup, right we need to do something to juice things up um but you've just recreated the line right you trimmed it down you got all these characters taking new directions which we just barely started to see uh like what justice is doing and what cyforce is doing now and you know they got exploded and split up too you know what's gonna you know is the deep is the clinic still going to stick around in dp7 I'm like i don't think those books needed a big shakeup. like i i think they could have held their own um so yeah. like having the super explosion you know big sea change for perhaps you know how they can impact the stories and kind of the greater new universe um yeah i i, I don't i'm not a huge fan of it um I mean, people on the Facebook page will sometimes say they, you know, they really you know, thought this is where things took a better turn. So, yeah, they're, are fans of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read it, with so. you on a lot of it because it's like it feels rushed, as I've said before. Like, as you're saying, you've got new creative teams. They're sort of finding their their new their new footing. And I would have at least given this to like issue 24, you know what I mean? Right. So you've got like a year of like, we're just, you know, trying things out. And then it's like, okay, year two, we'll get some, some consistent guys in there, some directions that people like sort of build that up. And then maybe at the end of that, okay, there's a big event, but again, it's probably like, you know, kind of you know something for a recap show but like having more warning or like people trying to stop a disaster those are good stories too you know yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know anyway hmm. you want to throw a grade at this um c i was also thinking a c i was pretty kind pretty generous to uh star brand largely on technical levels because i you know disagreed with some of the uh, direction but um actually look at listening to one of our earlier podcasts I, I i was judging that on the basis of um character consistency and 
seems like I should have uh, downgraded it considerably based on the <laughs> like, oh, we've completely changed how we look at these characters. Yeah. Anyway, this one, this me... one, oh, yeah, was the 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 um, story was stretched out, but kind of like the annuals. Um, so yeah, uh, the 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 new character. You know what didn't didn't really grab us. I mean, if there's like three or four guys who took creator credit for that, you know, it wasn't really worth worth the effort. Um, Spitfire, out of all three characters, gets the least pages. I noticed mm. <laughs> they they're always dumping on her. I think Witness is always like uh, okay. I mean, you could use them a little, but way yeah. too much here. If it's it's one of those things though, like if you completely erase the witness from this story, it changes nothing. Like he's totally superfluous. It's actually, yeah. If I ever, uh, you know the like the comic strip Garfield without Garfield, where someone just goes yeah. in and Photoshop. Yeah, if you did this, like Photoshopped out the witness into out of scenes, it would be just be like, okay, well. You know, it might honestly be better. You'd get all these like quiet, cool swirls of color and destruction and pit stuff, and like, yeah, yeah. Maybe work. they just didn't trust themselves enough to uh, to do something like that. It would be a little more experimental in the '80s, but yeah, yeah. if you had, uh, I mean, uh, like higher quality production, you could do that. Yeah, like imagine you know, instead of the witness, you've got all these scenes of like. Pittsburghians going about their daily lives, you know, driving in, you know, shopping for Christmas presents, and then you know, like way in the back, like up in the sky, this the little image of Ken Connell up there, and you know, and so like the impact of him, uh, yeah, like causing I... this explosion, like, but then kind of relating it back to like showing some real people that, yeah, yeah, died instead had, of like... just faceless masses, yeah, yeah that family didn't even get like a name as near as I can tell. So they didn't, yeah. and they didn't really work as like POV. They, we weren't really staying with them. So yeah, that's kind of like that novel I mentioned. I mean, you get, you see this horrible event from different people's point of view. You see, uh, you know, memories of it haunting people for years afterwards. And then like the, even the disaster movies that they're probably getting, uh, using as part of their source material would have it wouldn't just be a family there'd be five families one of them dies immediately one of them you know is a long ways away and one of them is yeah on the border clinging to life you know yeah. then yeah so could have been done better um the art is serviceable but it does honestly i find it you know it doesn't grab me either so yeah I think the art, like the environmental art, I kind of like, like the the world, the pit, the crater stuff is done well. The characters are okay. And then, the yeah, there's some definite issues with the scale of the suit. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just kind of boring, honestly. Like it's it just reads boring. It's like when Superman died and then they did like a whole series of comics that was like funeral for a friend. Like I read through those a couple years ago and I'm like, this is boring. Like I, I get like they're trying to show like, all right, this is a big deal. Something happened, right? The pit right, right. or Superman dies. So let's focus on the aftermath. But it's like, okay, military guy shows up, 
kills a blows up a helicopter. Jenny Swenson rescues one family and gets into a fight with military guy. Done, right? Like, what have yeah. I read? <laughs> Not much. Three twenty-five, dude. Yeah, right? I don't All think right. I paid that much for it, but. Oh, let's hope not. Although it doesn't show up in the quarter bins as well as much as the others do. It does not. No. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Our special double size graphic novel <laughs> episode. Next time we'll look at more fallout from these catastrophic, catastrophic events with the follow-ups in Justice and DP7. Both are pit tie-ins. So let's see what they have to say. Justice number 18, a major American city has been blasted into oblivion. Was the catastrophe, okay, my pronunciation is gone, caused by a paranormal? And if it was, are there other paranormals ready to unleash even more destruction? That's what justice seeks to discover. Wait till you see the answers he uncovers. Written by Peter David, penciled by Lee Weeks, inked by Tony DeZuniga. I mean, I'm kind of hoping there's not another equally powerful paranormal looking to make Pit 2, but okay. Uh, DP718, what has happened to Blur's family? Of course, this is Jeff from DP7. Uh, We're using his code name now. Uh, In a suspense-filled tie-in to The Pit, Blur dashes across America to discover if his family survived the annihilation. Afraid of the consequences for Blur, if his worst fears are realized, the DP7 secretly follows. But their journey will not be easy because all roads leading to the city are bad roads. <laughs> Written by Gruenwald, penciled by Paul Ryan, inked by Danny Bulanati. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, www.kickersinc.com. <laughs> Uh, new universe podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email, right? Why not? What's which city would you like to see destroyed? Let us know in the comments. <laughs> we won't, we won't let the CIA know what you decide. No judging. This has been the voice of the new universe, and we will see you back at the spinner rack. Don't throw away the duck, it's your universe, idiot. <laughs> Nuke me with the new. Feel like we've been nuked. Many, many times lately. A lot of nuking going on. Like, last three comics have all been nuked. Oh. This is more Tune than I Next expect. time, less nuking.